Chapter 4. Evelyn and I are back in her foyer. I'll meet you in my office in a half hour. Okay, I say to Evelyn. She heads down the corridor and out of sight. I take off my coat and put it in the closet. I should use this time to check in with Frankie. If I don't reach out and update her soon, she'll track me down. I just have to decide how I'm going to handle it. How do I make sure she doesn't try to wrestle this away from me? I think my only option is to pretend everything is going according to plan. My only plan is to lie. I breathe. One of my earliest memories was from when I was a child. My parents bringing me to Zuma Beach in Malibu. It was still springtime, I think, and the water hadn't warmed yet enough for comfort. My mother stayed on the sand, setting down our blanket and umbrella while my dad scooped me up and ran with me down to the shoreline. I remember feeling weightless in his arms. Then he put my feet in the water and I cried, telling him it was too cold. He agreed with me, it was cold. But then he said, just breathe in and out five times and when you're done, I bet it won't feel so cold. I watched as he put his feet in, I watched him breathe. And then I put my feet back in and breathed with him. He was right, of course, it wasn't so cold. After that, my dad would breathe with me anytime I was on the verge of tears. And when I, skinned, when I skinned my elbow, when my cousin called me an Oreo, when my mom said we couldn't get a puppy, my father would sit and breathe with me. It still hurts all these years later to think about those moments. But for now, I keep breathing. Right there in Evelyn's foyer, centering myself as he taught me. And then, when I feel calm, I pick up the phone and dial Frankie. Monique? She answers on the second ring. Tell me, how's it going? It's going well, I say. I'm surprised at how even and flat my voice is. Evelyn is pretty much everything you'd expect from an icon. Still gorgeous, charismatic as ever. And? And things are progressing. Is she committing to talk to talk about other topics than the gowns? What, I, what can I say? What can I say now to start covering my own ass? You know, she's pretty reticent about anything other than getting some press from the auction. I'm trying to play nice at the moment, get her to trust me a bit more before I start pushing. Will she sit for the cover? It's too hard to tell. Trust me, Frankie, I say, and I hate how sincere it sounds coming out of my mouth. I know how important this is, but right now, the best thing for me to do is to make sure Evelyn likes me so I can try to garner some influence and advocate for what we want. Okay, Frankie says. Obviously, I want more than a few sound bites about dresses, but that's still more than any other magazine has gotten from her a decade, so Frankie keeps talking, but I've stopped listening. I'm far too focused on the fact that Frankie's not even going to get the sound bites, and I'm going to get far, far more. I should go, I say, excusing myself. She and I are talking in a few minutes. I hang up the phone and breathe out. I've got this shit. And as I make my way through the apartment, I can hear Grace in the kitchen. I open the swinging door and spot her cutting flower stems. Sorry to bother you. Evelyn said to meet her in her office, but I'm not sure where that is. Oh, Grace says, putting the scissors down and wiping her hands on a towel. I'll show you. I follow her up a set of stairs and into Evelyn's study area. The walls are striking, are a striking flat charcoal gray. The area rug, a gold beige. The large one... The large windows are flanked by blue, dark blue curtains, and on the opposite of the room are built-in bookcases. A gray-blue couch sits facing an oversized glass desk. Grace smiles and leaves me to wait for Evelyn. I drop my bag on the sofa and check my phone. Take the desk, Evelyn says as she comes in. She hands me a glass of water. I can only assume the way this works is that I talk and you write. 
I suppose, I say, sitting in the desk chair. I never attempted to write a biography before. After all, I'm not a biographer. Evelyn looks at me pointedly. She sits opposite me on the sofa. Let me explain something to you. When I was 14 years old, my mother had already died and I was living with my father. The older I got, the more I realized that it only that only a matter of time until my father tried to marry me off to his friend or his boss or someone who could keep his situation. And if I'm honest, the more I developed, the less secure I was in the idea that my father might not try to take something of me for himself. We were broke, so we were so broke that we were stealing electricity from the apartment above us. And there was one outlet in our place that was on the circuit, so we plugged anything we needed to use in that one socket. If I needed to do homework after dark, I plugged in the lamp in the outlet and sat underneath it with my book. My mother was a saint. I really mean it. Stunningly beautiful and an incredible singer with a heart of gold. For years before she died, she would always tell me that we were going to get out of Hell's Kitchen and go straight to Hollywood. She said she was going to be the most famous woman in the world and get us a mansion on the beach. I had this fantasy of the two of us together in a house, throwing parties, drinking champagne... And then she died. And it was like waking up from a dream. Suddenly I was in a world where none of that was ever going to happen. I was going to be stuck in Hell's Kitchen forever. I was gorgeous, even at 14. Oh, I know the whole world prefers a woman who doesn't know her power, but I'm sick of that. I turned heads. Now I take, now I take no pride in this, but I didn't make my own face. I didn't give myself this body, but I also was not going to sit there and say... Aw, shucks, people really thought I was pretty, like some kind of prig. My friend Beverly knew a guy in her building named Ernie Diaz, who was an electrician, an electrician. And Ernie knew a guy at MGM. At least that was the rumor going around. And one day, Beverly told me, Beverly told me she heard Ernie was up for some job rigging lights in Hollywood. So that weekend, I made up a reason to go over to Beverly's and I accidentally knocked on Ernie's door. I knew exactly where Beverly was, but I knocked on Ernie's door and said, Have you seen Beverly Gustavuson? Gustavuson? I don't know. Ernie was 22. He wasn't handsome by any means, but he was fine to look at. He said he hadn't seen her, but I watched as he continued to stare at me. I watched as his eyes stared at mine and grazed their way down, scanning every inch of me in my favorite green dress. And then Ernie said, Sweetheart, are you 16? I was 14, remember, but do you know what I did? I said, why, I just turned. Evelyn looked at me with, Evelyn looked at me with purpose. Do you understand what I'm telling you? When you're given an opportunity to change your life, be ready to do whatever it takes to make it happen. The world doesn't give things, you take things. If you're going to learn one thing from me, it should probably be that. Wow. Okay, I say. You've never been a biographer before, but you are starting now. I nod my head. I got it. Good, Evelyn says, relaxing on the sofa. So where do you want to begin? I grab my notebook and look at the scribble words I covered the last few pages with. There were dates and film titles, references to classic images of her, rumors with question marks under them. And then in big letters, I went over and over with my pen, darkening each letter until I changed the texture of the page I've written. Who was the love of Evelyn's life? That's the big question. That's the hook of the book. Seven husbands. Which one does she love best? Which one is the real one? So both a journalist and a consumer, that's what I want. As a journalist and a consumer, that's what I want to know. 
it won't be where the book begins. Maybe that is where she and I should begin. I want to know, going into these marriages, which one matters the most? I look up at Evelyn and see her sitting up, ready for me. Who was the love of your life? Was it Henry Cameron? Evelyn thinks and then answers slowly. Not in the way that you mean, no. In what way, then? Harry was my greatest friend. He invented me. He was the person who loved me the most unconditionally. The person I love the most purely, I think, other than my daughter. But no, he was not the love of my life. Why not? Because that was someone else. Okay, who was the love of your life then? Evelyn nods as if this is the question she's been expecting, as if the situation is unfolding exactly how she knew it would. But then she shakes her head again. You know what? She says, standing up. It's getting late, isn't it? I look at my watch. It's mid-afternoon. Is it? I think it is, she says, and she walks toward me toward the door. All right, I say, standing up to meet her. Evelyn puts her arm around me and leads me into the hallway. Let's pick this up again on Monday. Would that be okay? Uh, sure, Evelyn. Did I say something to offend you? Evelyn leads me down the stairs. Not at all, she says, waving my fears aside. Not at all. There is a tension that I can't quite put my finger on. Evelyn walks with me until we hit the foyer. She opens the closet. I reach in and grab my coat. Back here, Evelyn says, Monday morning. What do you say we start around 10? Okay, I say, picking up my thick coat and putting it around my shoulders. If that's what you like. Evelyn nods. She looks past me for a moment over her shoulder, but appearing not to actually be looking at anything in particular. Then she opens her mouth. I've spent a very long time learning how to spin the truth, she says. It's hard to undo that wiring, and I've gotten too good at it, I think. Just now, I wasn't exactly sure how to tell the truth. I don't have very much practice in it. It feels antithetical to my very survival, but I'll get there. I nod, unsure how to respond. So, Monday? Monday, Evelyn says with a long blink and a nod. I'll be ready then. I walk back to the subway in the chilly air. I cram myself into a car packed with people, holding onto the handrail above my head. I walk to my apartment and open the front door. I sit on my couch, open my laptop, and answer some emails. I start to order something for dinner, and it is only when I go to put my feet up that I remember there's no coffee table. For the first time since he left, I have not come into this apartment immediately thinking of David. Instead, what plays back in my mind all weekend, from Friday night into my Saturday night, and my Sunday morning at the park isn't, how did my marriage fail, but rather, who the hell was Evelyn Hugo in love with?